You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Hi everyone, Annie here for this week's edition of Showreel. We are going to remind you of a source of great documentary films online, perfect for lockdown situations when puzzles, walks and cleaning might have lost their allure. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival online site is open 24-7 and I got to chat with one of the featured filmmakers, Akun Koo, whose film Black Summer is a timely reminder that climate change fires and the need to refocus our economic priorities is still waiting in the wings while the COVID dance is playing itself out. As Hakun explains, she joined up with Blaze Aid to help out farmers affected by the 2019 fires. Blaze Aid is a volunteer-based organisation that works with families and individuals in rural Australia after natural disasters such as fires and floods. Their mission is to work alongside the rural families with their volunteers helping to rebuild fences and other structures that have been damaged or destroyed. It started in Kilmore after the Black Saturday 2009 fires. Hakun was stationed at... Bombala, New South Wales, but the film Black Summer concentrates on the people at Goongarra, just across the border in Victoria. I caught up with Hakung in Darwin, still on her backpacker journey. Hello, this is Annie here. How are you? Oh, hello, Annie. Hello. Yes, I'm very good. Thank you so much. How are you? Good. Uh, okay, so um, I was really impressed by your film Black Summer, and uh, I'll have to say that I actually used to live down the road from Goongarra along the Dedek River oh. Road. Oh, did you? Oh my God, I volunteered in Goongarra more than three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I was really impressed to oh, learn. Wow. Oh wow! So you already knew Jared and Jill? I I knew of Jill. I didn't know yeah. him, but I knew Jill. Um, so, so tell me, how did this film uh, come about? Why did you make this film? And how, how do you, what's your filmmaking background for a beginning? Wow, okay, so um, I'm from South Korea first. Mm-hmm. And I actually, uh, I have never been formally trained to be making documentary, but I did work in videography area before. Uh, so I worked in Korean embassy in China as an in-house videographer. So mainly I made a news clips. Yeah, and about this film, so um, why did I make uh, this film? So um, I was, uh, I was in Sydney in 2019. And when I was there, as everybody knows, the bushfire in 2019 to 2020, uh, as known as Black Summer, 
uh, happen. And I just wanted to help our local people because I just couldn't stand the fact that I'm in the same country where the disaster happened. So I called Blaze Aid and they said they have one spot left. So I joined in Bombala camp, which is uh, in between New South Wales and Victoria. And the work with Blaze Aid really inspired me to make this documentary. So I just wanted to give them a stage for their stories so they could share this and inspire and inform others. And when I was volunteer there for local people, that have been affected by Black Summer for a few months and have built a relationship closely because I was working for them like every day and I experienced a bush start in both indirect and direct ways. So um, I decided to volunteer work because I thought it was the best way to help them. But as time went by, I wanted to just let more people know about the trauma and disaster they had been through. And I wanted to help them as best I could because you know, they just needed any kind of help they could get. So um, it was really important to look at people rebuilding their lives after a disaster and to pay attention to the course of the bushfire itself. And I felt the need to talk about life afterward and the what future might be because even the disaster happened, the show must go on. People still need to live their life and that really inspired me a lot. So that's why I made this film. So, Blaze, did they help you with the finances for making this film? No, they didn't help me at all. So, um, uh, Blaze Aid was making their own documentary, so I think all the budget was there. So, this documentary is all by myself, and there were no budgets. So, I pay for my gears, and so, um, except the audio editing because I never actually had the professional audio editing skill before, which I'm very ashamed. But if, uh, except that, I did everything. So, um, yeah, so it was very low budget, actually no budget film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was. Um, uh, there's uh, a part of what's so good about this film is uh, the intimacy of it. You obviously knew the people very well, but also the logical un, uh, the logical approach that you take to telling the story. I really appreciated that. Oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet of you, and I'm really grateful that you catched that. <laughs> so how did you uh, decide on how you were going to piece the film together? So you speak to all these people, uh, but making a film is more than just speaking with people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, actually, even before I joined the volunteer camp, I was sort of thought about making documentary there because I thought that it, was, it would be a really great topic to talk about and it's really meaningful. As I always volunteer for some organization, I always wanted to spread this message, but I'd never really done it before. And when I decided, after seeing all the local people, I talked with my camp manager first and he wasn't that positive about that idea at first because at that time Australia was in lockdown, the first lockdown, so it was really, really a difficult time. So he said you can ask the local people first and if they agree on it, then you can continue, but we can't really help anything at the moment. So I was like, yeah, it's okay. So I talked with the farmers that I help from the beginning and which is John Rock and he was very happy about my idea 
Um, and after that, it sort of happened really smoothly because after I finished the first interview with John, John started to talk about what I, what I was doing to his neighbor. And that sort of gave me really big confidence and, yeah, sort of comforting. So um, I thought that, okay, maybe I can do this to help them in different ways. So, um, yeah, so that happened. So everything actually happened in three months because I volunteered there for three months. But actually shooting time was two months. It's interesting because I do know that area and Gundara people are very sophisticated. They had a mm -hmm. whole philosophy behind going to live in the bush up there and it wasn't just about separating themselves from the outside world. Uh, they are very politically motivated and they've always fought for the uh, nature and for the animals in that area. So you fell in amongst very sophisticated people really didn't you oh yeah yeah oh absolutely i agree with you 100 percent like for example the two people that i took interview in gungra uh jill redwood and gerard so they're neighbors in gungra and so um when i was in bombala camp uh they also had a lot of requests from uh gungra people that uh had bushfire effect because it was really Sort of, hmm, it was a little bit away from others' help, so they really needed anyone's help. So, um, two of our volunteer camp decided to sort of move there temporarily and help there. So, um, that time I volunteered to go to Gungra, so I relocated once more. And so, at first. I just started to knock on the door, like, hi, yeah, we're from Blaze Aid, and if you need any help, like, except fencing, because we mainly help fencing, even except fencing, if you need something or if you need company, just let us know. So we visited uh, Jared and Jill almost every day for a week and just helped the, you know, just dairy farm thing or just orchard work. And after that, I think they started to open their mind I think so <laughs> and after that I told them what I was doing and they both really um, they were really sweet so they said yeah if you want just bring the camera then we can talk about it so after the day I just straight away brought my camera and took the interview and it was really amazing because follow them, following them for three weeks I learned so much about the different perspectives through their lives in the in Gungra, so it's, it was quite different with the other camp. Yeah, it was really. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, it's interesting because I used to live along Dedic River Road at Cabinandra, and I used to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I used to drive to uh, Delegate and then across sometimes to Bombala to do the shopping. And one yeah. of the things that's most fascinating about that road that drives to Bombala is that the people who made that road quite clearly didn't follow the um, the lay of the land. They just cut right across. And so, thing, yeah. yeah, so there's a real philosophical difference between the people at Gungra and the people who live in Bombala. Yeah, it was so different. Like, for example, Gungra is when you're there, you really feel like you're in the nature. You're you're just there. But like the other place like Delegate that you said or Bombala is actually a logging area. 
the logging industry there is so big. That's one of the reason that also in my documentary. So um, that's another reason why the bushfire affected really bad because it was all plantations. So all the trees were massively, densely planted. And to talk about all different people in Bombala and Gungra, that sort of gave me multiple aspects. And I think that really helped me to make this documentary in a little bit different layers that I tried. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I was fascinated by the way you were able to tease out some of the issues around environment. I was really, uh, I hadn't understood the uh, fact that the New South Wales government were logging the burnt uh, forest to make ludicrous briquettes for overseas power stations. So your film will have an effect overseas. Has it been got? Has it gone overseas? Has your film been shown in other places other than here? No. So um, this is my first time that feature in the the film festival. And I hope I can spread this more, but uh, unfortunately, I got a feedback from the director from the distri uh, distributing company that maybe my documentary Black Summer sells potential to television or just just generally in Australia will be pretty limited since ABC and SBS tend to make their own bushfire films like Big Weather, but within the confines of Mm, territory she well the director thought that black summer has some potential as a library film or a television market outside but she wasn't sure and i sort of agree with that <laughs> i actually i actually think that you should try and get it into the educational market and i think you should also try and get it into european markets because if if these briquettes are being used to fire um, places in Europe, then or they should realise what is actually being used to the detriment of the environment. Mm, oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And yeah, but so far, not really big luck so far. I applied more than 40 yeah, film festivals. I think so. So far, it's just only yeah, this one. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe it's because no budget documentary and maybe the audio quality is not really stable. But I hope I can get some professional help or support. So I'm really searching for anyone who can help me to find a way to distribute the documentary together because I don't have any background in Australia. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping for it. Yeah, well, it, it's a very fascinating film, and it and it uh, really does. Uh, tell me how about the editing process. And as you said, you needed to help with uh, uh, getting the sound, but you also go out of your way to do maps and uh, charts. That's another aspect as well, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Oh, that's really sweet of it. Yeah, and actually about the the course of the development. In fact, the script. So the documentary script was made after filming and we checked the interview files. So I first uh, took the interviews with all the local people and some volunteers. And when I first started filming, I was just so overwhelmed by so many different stories and information. And there was a moment that I thought, maybe I can't do this because it's too big. 
is too bigger than I thought, but so I was so, sort of lost and I didn't know how the film would be made, but it was drafted focusing on the fact that there was an important common message among the various stories and then edited focusing on the flow. So in a sense, the documentary was formed through their stories and experiences so they could speak out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does make sense. And it's also very interesting to know uh, about your creative development because you were brave enough to do something outside your skill base and now you're much more uh, um, skilled and uh, at making documentaries. It's, uh, it's, you should be congratulated. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, that's really, really, really kind and sweet of you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm very proud. But yeah, I hope I can find another way to spread this more to help the people. But I'm very, very grateful because still I remember the moment that I finished the documentary and sent it to uh, the people that I took interview. And some of them then, some of them I actually visited them again after I finished. And they were really grateful. And that time I sort of realized I did something good. <laughs> that was yeah. really good. <laughs> really. Yeah. It, it's important work. Um, did you um, start off feeling that you had a, an environmental message to tell or did you learn it as you were doing this work? I think it's um, in both ways, but more likely I learned a lot. Especially as backpackers in Australia, I didn't know about the background, what's happening about in logging industry and what gum trees. I mean, I didn't even know what was gum tree, and, but uh, also the bushland. But uh, after talking with all the local people, that really gave me a lot of aspects and perspective. And I really, really learned a lot and I really appreciate it to them. Are you um, stuck in Australia because of COVID, just as a matter of interest? Oh, no, uh, actually, I'm in Northern Territory now. So I'm still backpacking in Australia since 2019. So um, now I'm trying to escape from the lockdown um, state as possible because I was already in lockdown twice last year. So um, I was working in Queensland and now I'm in Northern Territory, but I think I will head to South Australia to find another maybe farm work because I really like farm work. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that uh, in the time that you were in Australia, you made a film? Oh, my God, yeah, that's the thing. I really didn't expect it. And it's my first feature-length documentary, so... um. What can I say? I'm so proud. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> proud of you too, and I don't even know you. <laughs> That's true. And, uh, and I'll have an interview with you, which I'm so honoured and grateful. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved.
Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Australia has joined together with their imperial mates from the US and the UK, forming a new military partnership, AUKUS. The AUKUS Anti-AUKUS Caucus is bringing together activists from across the country to launch a fight back, and we need you to join us. Panellists include Scott Ludlam, Guy Rundle, Clinton Fernandez, Felicity Ruby, Tyle Mangione, Dimity Hawkins, Jacob Grech and Dave Sweeney. Join us online on Thursday the 7th of October at 7pm. For more information and to register, visit renegadeactivist.org or check out Renegade Activists on all the socials. A 3CR supporter. G'day, I'm Warwick Thornton and uh, you're listening to 3CR. You're with Annie on Showreel. I was just speaking with Akun Koo, whose film Black Summer is a fascinating discovery of the worlds of people affected by the 2019 fires in Goongarra on the border of Victoria, New South Wales, where she went to assist them as a blaze aid volunteer. But, of course, we learn from the film that there is more to the fires than just an unforeseeable event. You will probably be aware that October the 15th is the National Day of Climate Action called by school students. And there has been a lot of announcements around environment with even the gas-led recovery LNP federal government talking economic need to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. I hear an election coming. These messages are so contrary to the climate change denying messages of the past and the accusation that our federal government has been called state captured by the fossil fuel industry that I was wondering about the recent New South Wales government's announcement about uh, becoming zero carbon neutral. Uh, Do they mean what I think they mean? After watching Akun's film Black Summer and finding that the New South Wales government-owned forestry division is harvesting the burnt trees after the 2019 fires to make compressed bricks for the overseas market to generate electricity. It is important to not just read the headlines, but to find out more about announcements from politicians who have the extractivist economy as their beating heart. So to finish today's program, I pinched a little from the Australian Institute's Rewiring Australia webinar, which you should check out on their YouTube channel. Here, Richie Menzien from Australian Institute research team answers the question of what the New South Wales government announcement really means when the party frock is removed. Um, Richie, this next one might be for you. Judith Leslie asks uh, or says the New South Wales roadmap to net zero is commendable, but how can the New South Wales government reconcile that with their own planning department's rapid approval of new coal mines and coal mine extensions in New South Wales? What does Australia Institute research show? I know we've done uh, a fair bit of research into that. Um, But basically... Uh, the 50% emission reduction uh, target set by the New South Wales government is only on the emissions within the um, borders of New South Wales. Uh, and that's part of really the UN Framework Convention accounting on, on climate, which is that you're only responsible for onshore emissions, uh, even though, say, New South Wales is one of the, the largest jurisdictions in terms of digging up and exporting thermal coal. Uh, and unfortunately, there's still 20 new coal projects in the works in New South Wales. There's new areas being opened up for new exploration uh, for coal in New South Wales. And if we're all in this together, then this is this is a, a serious concern. Uh, ultimately, you do have to reconcile these two things. 
both dealing with your emissions at home, uh, but then also dealing with the emissions that you're supplying the world. To some extent, the second part will be answered in terms of the demand for coal, given that the three largest destinations, China, South Korea, and Japan are all going to net zero. Eventually, we'll see that demand for thermal coal dry up. But in the meantime, it doesn't seem like the best port of call to increase exports and certainly the port of Newcastle being the main port, the uh, main port to export call has taken that on board in actually changing plans for its fourth terminal as well, moving away from call too. So really, if New South Wales wants to take that next step, then it should look at revisiting uh, all the permits it is granting out for new call licenses and new call mines. That's really what would get to it. And yes, those, those are my chickens in the background, <laughs> the, the joys of working from home. That's it for Showreel this week. Keep safe. Talk next week.
you just talk let's go oh where you ain't so listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.